Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. We're along with my partners, Ann and Crystal. We do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. In a matter of weeks, the coronavirus outbreak has upended the global economy, financial markets, and our daily lives. Efforts to stem the spread of the virus from social distancing measures to government-mandated business shutdowns have had devastating economic consequences Classrooms, offices, restaurants, and commuter routes are all empty. Sweatpants are the new style. Elbow touches, the new handshakes. And for some reason, I still don't get toilet paper has become a precious commodity. So this is my first and I hope the last of maybe three COVID-19 editions of my Financially Speaking podcast. And of course, I am at my safe house or the Slater family. We work more precisely And joining me today, not in our wonderful studio at 1285, but by the magic of this thing called the iPhone and H6 Zoom player, is a past guest and very good friend of the show, Laura Kane. Laura is the Executive Director of the Chief Investment Office for Thematic Investing at UBS. Well, hey, Laura, first of all, I hope you and your family are all doing as well as can be expected right now and staying safe. Thank you, Mitch. It's great to be here. And likewise, it's definitely, as you said, as well as can be expected at the time. That's true. That's that's all we can do. Recently now, Laura has put out a great deal of content talking about after the pandemic. So we are going to just take about 10 to 15 minutes today of her time to share with all of you her wisdom and research. I really thought it would be helpful. So Laura, against this backdrop, Let's start with what we are coming to see as the new normal. How are corporations and people globally adjusting? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say that initially it's been very difficult in many ways, especially for families that have been directly affected by this deadly virus. But on a more positive note, I would say that we have seen communities and corporations really coming together at this time to help contain the spread of the virus and reduce its potential toll on human life as much as possible. At the individual level, we're seeing people really abide by government-issued guidance for social distancing measures. And this, of course, has meant adjusting to a new normal, as you said, whether it's working from home or ordering groceries and other essentials online or even helping kids partake in online learning. I know I've heard a lot of moms saying that they've all of a sudden become homeschool teachers. We've also seen people finding various ways to entertain themselves and maintain their well-being while at home, whether it's having virtual happy hours or partaking in online fitness classes. I would say that also in the name of of solidarity, we've seen a lot of support for our healthcare workers. In New York City, for example, every day at 7 p.m., we see residents coming out in their balconies or on the streets to cheer and applaud for healthcare workers that are changing shifts at that time. So that is really nice to see and I think helps to keep hope alive during this period. Looking at companies, we've also seen employers look to protect employees' health and well-being by shifting operations to remote working environments and arrangements. 
We've also seen some companies raising wages and giving bonuses to essential workers. And then finally, we've seen some companies springing to action, whether it's healthcare companies trying to come up with treatment options or other companies in the industrial segment looking to shift manufacturing to products that will help with treating the virus. So we've seen GM, for example, making ventilators, Brooks Brother making masks and gowns for healthcare workers. So we really have seen companies take efforts to help to join the fight against COVID-19. And that is so true. The soul of America right now is really, really strong. We, we've seen this before after other crises that we've lived through, 9-11 most recently, and obviously the 2008-2009 financial crisis. But when I sit and talk with my 93-year-old mother, I hear about everything going back to the Depression. And I've been reading a lot of Doris Kearns Goodwin and understanding and, and watching Ken Burns' Civil War and seeing a time that was even worse than this. So I have a lot of confidence in the American spirit and the American business, and certainly Andrew Cuomo at this point, who's doing a fantastic job for those of us and, and Governor Murphy in the New York and New Jersey area. So with shifting patterns of behavior and requirements due to the pandemic, are you seeing transformation in particular areas? Yes, we definitely are. And I would say, you know, coming into 2020, of course, we started a new decade. So at the time, there were some long-term trends that we were excited about and areas of transformation that we expected to see over the decade. Of course, at that time, we had no idea that a global pandemic would be among the first catalysts to accelerate some of these secular shifts that we anticipated. So there's three key areas. Of course, there's so many changes, but just to kind of boil it down, the first would be within health, and that can range from everything from genetic therapies to food safety and improving food supply chains and systems. The second is in the realm of digital technologies and how those technologies are influencing so many different sectors from consumer to financial to industrials. And then the third is this notion that the world might become less globalized going forward, and this could have some profound effects on manufacturing and supply chains over the longer term, and this could in turn influence investment and demand for things like automation and robotics. So those are the three key areas. Of course, there's many different components to those topics, but to kind of simplify, those are the ones that we're focused on right now. Yeah, very true. And the innovations we, we've all been seeing by individuals and companies the last two months have really been fascinating to watch. Let's talk a little bit more about some of these really promising solutions. Sure. So you're right. We have seen researchers and healthcare companies worldwide really racing to come up with treatments and preventative measures to help tackle COVID-19. At the same time, though, there's also an emphasis on how to provide medical care more effectively and efficiently. And I think that piece of it is going to become more and more meaningful over the long term. Of course, right now, the focus is on treating coronavirus, coming up with uh, faster testing methodologies. I think as we look for kind of the lessons learned, it'll really focus on this efficiency aspect. Digging a little bit more into telemedicine, I know this has been a hot topic. We have seen these telemedicine platforms get a lot more traction during this period. Essentially, what we're seeing is that patients can speak to their doctors and receive more kind of routine care over the internet without having to risk exposure to the virus or further straining our healthcare system. 
I'll give you one example. Uh, Teladoc, which is one of the major virtual care providers, reported a 50% rise in daily visit volume for the U.S. in mid-March. So this is a trend that really has picked up, and I think this trend can stay with us as patients now become more comfortable with using some of these services, because I think there was definitely kind of a speed bump there in terms of getting people used to accessing these types of services over the internet rather than in person. But there are a lot of benefits to be had in terms of switching away from expensive hospital locations and also being able to expand access to care for those in underserved communities. So this is one trend that we expect to stay with us. Another area of innovation I would highlight is genetic therapies. This is an area that we've been interested in for some time now. And with COVID-19, we've seen genetic medicine and genetic research techniques being used to better understand the virus, start to think about the types of treatments that can be used. We've also seen genetic research play a role in understanding certain pockets of the population that might be more vulnerable to this deadly virus. So genetic therapies and genetic research have been in focus. I would say in terms of targeted genetic therapies, those won't necessarily be a part of the cure for COVID-19. Where we are seeing momentum for those targeted therapies is in treating what are called monogenic disorders. So these are illnesses caused by a single gene mutation. And we've already seen proof of concept. We have four FDA-approved genetic therapies in the U.S. right now. And even though that's a pretty small number, what's interesting is that going forward, we think genetic therapies can be a real game changer. And what I mean by that is that we'll be able to potentially cure previously untreatable genetic disorders with just a single or very few treatments. So even though the market is still small today, we do see enormous potential going forward. And that's why this is one of the thematic areas that we are very focused on. One other area of innovation I'll highlight that's related to this is also on the food sector. So even though we don't know exactly where the coronavirus came from, there are some theories that point to food markets. So I do think we'll see more focus on the food supply chain going forward and food safety. And technology can also play a role here in terms of being able to track food from farm to table. So that's the last area of innovation that I'll highlight. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of our past guests, Sonia Lowe, who is involved in sustainable farming, really, with a company called Crop One Holdings. We talked a lot about what they've been doing and just hyperponic and and just the greens and everything that they're doing and, and actually been having great success abroad, especially with just making sure people are getting safe lettuce. So these things are definitely coming more and more to the forefront in that in that area. So as all of us continue, at least in the, in the New York metropolitan area, specifically to shelter in place, how is this behavior impacting digital activities? Yeah, so while we're stuck at home, a lot more activities are taking place in the digital realm. So put another way, virtual has become reality. And this spans a lot of different segments of our lives, I would say. So whether it's consumer and shopping, we've seen a big shift to online retail, which of course can be expected as people try to avoid going to stores. So we have seen the large e-commerce giants really outperform in this environment. But I would say also it's not limited to those larger platforms. We have seen some traditional retailers that have a strong online presence also do quite well during this period. And they've seen that their online sales segment has helped to offset some of the declines that they've seen 
in brick and mortar. Going forward, this is an area that we're very interested in and see a lot of growth potential. We expect about 15% annualized growth over the next 10 years, because even though many of us are very familiar with using e-commerce, it still only represents somewhere around, let's say, 12 to 15% of retail sales today. So we do see the potential for more growth over the coming decades. Another area that we touched on earlier, online education. So a lot of uh, homeschooling going on using the internet. And we do think there's a lot of potential for education technologies or ed tech going forward. Just to put some numbers to it, in New York City alone, they've moved classes online for more than a million students. So pretty big numbers. And looking forward, we, we see a lot of potential for ed tech in terms of being able to offer greater personalization and expanded access to educational services worldwide. So even though this is a trend that we've seen kind of pick up more recently, it's something that over the long term we think has a lot of benefits. And then finally, entertainment, right? So we've all been streaming video content, gaming for for the younger segment, engaging with social media. So a lot of our entertainment has shifted indoors and into the digital realm since we can't really engage in many of the activities that we enjoyed so much outside the home. So definitely have seen entertainment go digital. Or as a friend of mine said, who has a 16-year-old son, no change for him. (laughs) Same thing, <laughs> but it, it does make yeah, a big might difference. Be good for some, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm glad you brought up the education situation as a former Board of Ed member here in, in my town in Westfield, New Jersey. This is an issue we talked about nine years ago, and we began starting looking more into the Khan Academies and whatever was existing at the time in teleeducation. And I was glad to see that our town was very prepared. And I know a lot of other towns, at least here in New Jersey, over the last five to 10 years, had just began really doing more research. So it's really been incredible. And my partner has three young girls and she never really expected to be homeschooling, but at least the online education has certainly, I think, made things really work, really work. We'll see what the what the results are from testing from these kids with online education. I don't want to put teachers out of work, but maybe do things just a little bit differently. So we're all looking every day for some silver linings in all of this mess. <laughs> and this is kind of a strange one, but you pointed it out out in a report you did, I think, with Ainsley Carbone that I thought was really interesting, that robots can't catch COVID-19, which is kind of one positive fact. So maybe talk a little bit about some examples of how these enabling technologies are adding to the human efforts on the front lines. Sure, great question. And it definitely is a silver lining being able to see the role that some of the newer technologies can play during this difficult time. So first, I would point to, as you mentioned, robotics. We have seen hospitals use robotic technology for certain tasks, and this has allowed healthcare personnel to focus on more critical tasks. So we've seen robots being used to do things like deliver food and clean and disinfect surfaces. One of the robots that we heard about can actually disinfect an entire patient room in just about 20 minutes. And we've also seen robots being used to do kind of preliminary routine checks on patients such as measuring temperatures, and this way they can help to understand which patients need more urgent attention from healthcare staff. We've also seen the influence of artificial intelligence in terms of being able to parse through vast amounts of data very quickly. This has helped to, for example, understand which communities are most at risk of having large levels of coronavirus cases in rapid spread. 
So this can help clinicians determine where additional supplies might be needed ahead of time. And then we've also seen the role of 3D printing, which is quite interesting. So we've seen 3D printing being used to create some respirator valves, for example. So different parts that have been in short supply, you've seen 3D printing being used to pick up that shortfall. We've also seen several dentistry companies in the U.S. shift their 3D printing capabilities to focus on COVID-19 supplies as well. So it's very interesting to see how some of these technologies are being used in the fight against COVID-19 and how different the situation might have been had we experienced this several decades ago. And these are just some of the reasons that continue to give me hope. They really are. I mean, that's, I think, at the end of the day, what we're looking for. So before I let you go, speaking of hope, let's let's look to the hopefully not too distant future or after the pandemic. So do you expect to see all or some of these changes that we've seen stay in place for the long term? In other words, what changes may be here to stay? Yes. So there's definitely some changes that I think will be enduring, but of course, not all of them. I definitely don't think we'll be contained to our homes for the long term. So that's the good news. In terms of some long-term changes, I mean, I think we could definitely see some changes to consumer behavior. I would say most notably increased consumer comfort with accessing services online. So whether that's groceries and food delivery, uh, healthcare via telemedicine, educational services. And also I would add to that paying for those services using online payments. That's another kind of corollary effect there. So definitely expect to see some changes to consumer behavior. On the healthcare front, of course, we're focused on potential healthcare breakthroughs that we might see in terms of treating the coronavirus and other infectious diseases. But that's not the whole story. I also think that there's going to be a focus on how to more efficiently manage patient volumes and provide cost-effective care. And we'll definitely see a greater influence of technology in terms of being able to achieve this. So I think that will be one enduring trend within the healthcare space. And then finally, looking at business practices and business decisions going forward, I think we could see some permanent shift to remote working arrangements. Again, I don't want to overstate the case. I don't think we'll make a complete changeover, but I think there could be some more shifting to telecommuting. And all of this will mean greater investments in IT infrastructure, so that companies can have increased connectivity, automation, security, all of those things will continue to grow in importance going forward. And in terms of areas that are particularly exposed to that, cloud computing and even investments in 5G networks, I think those will all be an important part of the future. And then finally, I touched on this a bit earlier, but this notion of deglobalization, so seeing companies diversify supply chains, look to move manufacturing closer to home. I think these are some trends that will play out over the longer term. So it won't be immediate, that's for sure. But we could see a greater emphasis on things like digital tools, robotics, different technologies that will make it more cost effective to produce goods in more developed markets that don't have the kind of cheap labor advantage that we see in some of the other emerging countries that a lot of this work has been outsourced to. So again, there are so many different ways that the world can change, but those are just a few of the highlights in terms of what we can start to anticipate from our vantage point today. Yeah, absolutely. I I certainly agree with all of them. And and I'm somebody who lives less than a mile from my office. And since I've worked at this particular location the last 10 years, 
I never worked at home for one day, even though our company had the ability for me to do that. Now that I have done it, although I am <laughs> really looking forward to getting out of the house and getting out of my county, at least, it is amazing how well the technology is. And a lot of companies like ours, for example, obviously spend a lot of money on infrastructure and it makes a big, big difference. And I'm sure you're going to see more of that going going along. So thanks for pointing all of that out. And thank you, Laura Kane, so much for taking some time today just to speak to my audience. You are always putting out such excellent and timely content. And it's really been very, very helpful. I think for those of you that, that follow me on LinkedIn, you, you see a number of the things that I've been sharing that my firm has put out, especially Laura and her group. And it's really, really helpful. So keep looking for, for more information there. That's it for today's episode of Financially Speaking. Coming in the next two weeks, we also have a few other special episodes that I thought would be timely. We're going to bring back Joel Peterson, the chairman of JetBlue, not only to talk about his new book and obviously the change in, in airlines, but also he also, out of nowhere, as a Stanford MBA professor, is living the life, you know, really teaching virtually MBA students at Stanford University. And she's got some great stories to share. And then we're also going to talk taping later this week. I call her the queen of retail analysts, Dana Telsey. She's been around for as long as I've been doing this and she has her own firm and she's constantly on, on TV and was in Barron's over the weekend talking about the future of retail. So I thought we'd get into that a little bit as well. So special thanks to the folks at Resonate Recording. Adam, thank you for getting this episode out quickly. I thank all my friends at UBS that helped do this, like Jeff and Brian and Lori and Sean. And everybody, stay safe, keep your distance, and remember, still got to pay those bills, but always pay yourself first. Have a great week and stay safe and we'll talk soon.